you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at the first couple chapters or, or pieces of the first couple chapters in the book of Ephesians. And so I, I want to invite you just to kind of uh, go there, uh, there on your iPad or your phone. Uh, maybe you have uh, a bound Bible with you right here or maybe at home in the living room or or wherever you're, you're looking and listening to the sermon at. But I invite you to go to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at that in just a little bit. Um, but I... Uh, I just kind of want to introduce the idea of help in changing times because, you know, these are changing times. Uh, these are changing times for our world. These are changing times for our culture, and we understand that, and we're trying to adjust to that. And, and, and so our emotions have been kind of running high. I understand that. But these are also changing times for Mission Church of the Nazarene, and uh, by now it's no surprise to you that this is Heidi and I, it's our last Sunday here with Mission Church of the Nazarene. It's always a difficult process when we move from one assignment to another because there is mourning that takes place. No matter how many victories there are, there's mourning that takes place. And, and, and even though we're excited about the, what God is doing, we know that God is calling. There's no question in our mind that as we begin to pray and we begin to put out, you know, our call to the Lord, that God began to answer and he began to move and he began to release. And all the things that need to happen, happen. And we know that God is right in the middle of what's happening. And that means if God has my back, the good news is that God has your back. But I, I do want to mention about some of the things I really appreciated here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. Um, I, I really value the experience I had uh, with Pastor Jeff and Christian. When they came to me and they said, Pastor, you know our history, you know what we've been through. And I just feel that, you know, they said together, we feel that we need to really do something for young adults. And so I began to get to know Christian a little bit more, really a lot more. And Jeff and Jeff was a part time uh, young adult director. And then I hired him to be a, a full time adult director or adult young adult pastor. And then and then we decided to launch in common. And Jeff became that lead pastor for that ministry, that service on Sunday night called in common. And I just have to stop and say, I love our young adults I love Pastor Jeff. I love our staff. But, but Jeff and I have, we've walked through a lot. And I can't tell you how many times I went to that service on Sunday night. I attended several times. And I was ministered to. Young adults, I was, sir, I was ministered to. And the Holy Spirit renewed me and refreshed me and filled me when I needed to be filled sometimes. I'm so grateful for that experience. And, and I'll treasure these relationships, I know, for years to come. I know uh, Heidi and I felt that we, we belong, you know, at Mission Church, especially after a few months. We'd been here maybe four months or something like that. And, and, and we woke up so, one Sunday morning, or not Sunday morning. It might have been Sunday morning. No, I think it was a Saturday morning. We woke up one Saturday morning and we walked outside and literally to the top of our two-story rental house, down to the bottom and in the, the shrubs and, of course, the fence and our cars. I mean, I'm talking about every square inch of our yard and our house had been toilet paper. Now, I think there's probably forks in the grass and American little American flags. And I'm telling you what, they absolutely covered our property. And then they have the gall to put a big old calling card, a sign right in the middle of the yard, Mission Church Student Ministries. 
And then I was really impressed because it wasn't just student ministries. It was the girls of Mission Church Student Ministries. And that was so fun. In fact, um, we were newer to the the, uh, neighborhood at that time because we'd been in an apartment for a short period of time, moved to the house. Well, anyways, I began to clean things up. Heidi went in the house. I began to pick up the toilet paper and all the stuff. And pretty soon here comes a neighbor and pretty soon here comes another neighbor and another. We had about five or six neighbors out there helping me clean up our yard. That's when we met most of our neighbors. I knew that we belonged at that point. I have an initiation process, by the way. It involves toilet paper. And some of you have been victims. You know this. Some of you have invited us over for a party or you've invited Heidi and I over for dinner. And many of you don't know this, but yes, there is an evil streak in me. And so what I do sometimes when I go to people's house at the end of the night and we're getting ready to leave, literally, we've got our coats and my wife has her purse. And I go into your bathroom and I find some toilet paper or I take it off the toilet paper roll or I find extra rolls. And I literally toilet paper your bathroom, crisscrossing across the bathroom in different ways where you walk in and you hang yourself on the toilet paper. I did that many times here at Mission Church. And uh, some of you know it. And I love the phone calls I got sometimes at midnight because they didn't discover it until midnight or they didn't discover it until the next morning. And boy, did I have fun talking to some of you. So I thought I was kind of the king of this toilet paper thing until... One time, my wife and I went on vacation. Get this. My wife and I goes on vacation, and we come home from vacation, and these turkeys, and I'm not naming names, these turkeys, I'm talking about 12 or 15 adults, busted into our house, and they literally toilet paper. Now, these are people I toilet paper their bathrooms, you know, all fairness to them, they they had busted in our house and they toilet papered every square inch of our home, our living room, our dining room, all our bathrooms and our bedrooms and our kitchen. They toilet papered everything. And then they brought in copies of, of 300, I think, 300 different, I mean, a lot of pictures of crazy, silly pictures of themselves. And they taped these pictures everywhere to the point that we were finding pictures taped to things six months afterwards. Like, you know, the bottom of the toilet seat or, you know, the ceiling as we lay down. Those were the obvious ones. And, and in between the clothing, in the back wall, between the clothing racks. I mean, we were finding pictures taped everywhere. Oh, they were so funny. And then they had the gall to line up on our staircase, all, however many, 12 or 15 of them. They line up on the staircase behind the streams of toilet paper and take a picture and they send that to us, and we're going, okay, our house is a mess. But anyhow, we knew that we really were either hated or loved at that point, I'm not sure which. <laughs> I love our staff, Mission Church. I, I, I mean, you guys, we've, we've been through thick and thin. We've cried together. We have uh, laughed together. We have labored together. We have, I wasn't going to say sleep together, but I meant we've stayed for conferences at hotels or houses and stuff. We, we've, we've just, we've done life. And, uh, and I, I just, I treasure these relationships. Thank the Lord for them. I think of how we pull together for some pretty big stuff like Fall Festival and everybody just pitched in and the church pitched in and all of you pitched in. I think of how, you know, we did some big things and God blessed and, and, and I praise the Lord for that. I give God credit for all of it and I thank our staff for doing a great job. I, I thank the Lord for our senior adults. I, t- I can't tell you how many times I was at the Young's house or, or maybe I was at Dottie's house or you may be uh, Shirley Preddy's house. Somebody and, 
and, and Charlene's house. I mean, just I, I treasure as a pastor. I do not forget those visits. Those visits are important to me. But I thank the Lord for those visits. I thank the Lord for the cards and the gifts and the, the money that was given to us. I mean, people have been blessing us and gifting us these last four years. It's been awesome. I have one lady here. I'm not saying any names because I'll miss people. But I have one lady here that realized that I was not prepared for the cool winters. It's Florida. It's hot. That's where we came from. And this precious lady, every once in a while, would buy me a zip sweater or a vest sweater. And I mean, these are classy sweaters. And she'd bring them to me. Yeah, I got this on sale. Here, Pastor, I got this on sale. And so whenever I looked dapper and sharp, it's not because I was wise and shopping. It was this lady here, one of you at the church, that bought these and gave them to me. Thank you. I've been camping with some of you. And we counted, I don't know, 120 satellites. I mean, you know, just good times. We're going through transition right now. And so I want to talk about help in changing times. And I, I cannot think of a better time to reboot what me, it means to be healthy than in a time right now for a local congregation, for, for this organization. I said this once before, for an organization to be effective, to promote organizational help, we have to have transparency, and then transparency leads to trust, and then trust leads to effectiveness. I've I've mentioned that before, and I want us to kind of begin to think in that vein as we begin to move towards the word today, looking at what it means to be a healthy organization or family or business or especially a church. Learning how to be transparent. And so this, this leads me not on a search for reasons for trust, but ways to build up trust in our family and specifically in our congregation. Beginning, of course, with this idea of what it means to be transparent. And so the scripture moves us in this direction. We're going to Ephesians, looking at pieces of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we're going to look for help in changing times and that would be, in, in fact, I'm thinking, what kind of wisdom could I share in my last message, my last Sunday? And that's what I'm doing this morning. It's if, if I have any gold nuggets left, I want to just, I want to give them to you. And, and so I really have just a few, just about three different simple ideas that give us help in changing times. And the first one is that we should, and I, I'm talking to the church today, And and here's the first one, is that we should be working together and not against. Working together and not against. That's part of your notes if you're looking at the bulletin. And that means that we talk to talk, or we begin by talking the talk. What am I saying? I'm saying talk about it. If we're working together and not against, then talk about it. Talk about working together. Talk about being united. Talk about, you know, being on the same page. Now listen to what I'm saying. Talk about it. Begin to develop the culture and the spirit of of us that it's working together. And in fact, we go to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13 through 22. And I understand what the context of the the passage is. I mean, the meaning of the passage, Jesus is talking about the war, of course, between the law, the understanding of that, those that embrace that, and of course, and grace, the new dispensation of grace that Jesus brings by his blood. In fact, it begins that way. We go to Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verse 13 and 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Why? Because there are those that were not, you know, following every dot and every tittle of the law. They're so distant. And now, you know, there's something here. Again, it's called grace that's bringing us together. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's in our own hearts by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, that's key, through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So we understand the context, you know, the passage and what it's dealing with. But then there's the shift because he starts really then talking about the church. In him, the whole building is joined together. And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now notice, working together and not against is in the nature of the spirit of Christ. I mean, go beyond just hearing that. Let it sink for just a moment. The idea that working together, because we're talking about working together and not against church. And working together and not against is in the nature of the spirit of Christ. And showing us, of course, the law does what the law does and grace does what grace does. But we see that it's in the blood of Christ that this is coming together. By the way, the blood represents the power of God. Remember that. Follow that. It represents the power of God. So by the power of God, there is this coming together. In fact, go to verse 21. Back there. Look at verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. So there's two things here that we want to note or remember. And that is one, that you are a holy temple. That's God's intention, that you are a holy temple. I mean, you specifically as an individual. This is what he's saying. I mean, this is the baseline. You are a holy temple. And then the second thing is God desires To dwell in you. So by the very nature of the Holy Spirit, we're working towards these two ideas that that you are the holy temple of God, that God's spirit desires to dwell in you. So then it makes me want to ask the question, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that mission, church? How are we doing with having this place of holiness and this place of purity in our heart to a point that we know that this is a place for God to dwell in us? And that we are the temple of God and that we are making decisions and we are living our life and we're allowing our language to reflect this reality that we are the temple of the living God. So that 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 righteousness and the holiness of God becomes evident in our lives. So I'm wondering how we're doing with that. And so, you know, we're talking about what this is, you know, working together, not against in in the idea of, of holiness. So let me then take a moment and talk about what. This is not 
what this is not, working together and not against what this is not. Well, working together is not agreeing on everything. I mean, that would be ideal if that was true, but that's not reality. I mean, it would only be temporary at best if we all agreed on something because we have different thoughts, we have different ideas, we have different, you know, personalities. In the midst of it, we find and we discover the strength, you know, of the best of all the ideas. We call that synergy, right? We learn that even in, in business, in the corporate world. We have the synergy because we're, we're collaborating, bringing all the ideas together. But the fact is we have different personalities. We have different expectations, And the fact is, we will clash sometimes, Mission Church. As we are moving forward, we will clash. And sometimes it it gets ugly. It gets ugly if we're willing to give people voice and we're willing to talk and we're willing to listen and do this thing that's called life. Sometimes it can get really ugly. But I believe that if we're willing, God is going to use that for his glory. So we understand that, that coming together, that's the idea. I mean, working together. It is not agreeing on everything. So we do not want to have a false expectation. It is not. It is not allowing hostility to have the upper hand. That's what working together is not. It's not allowing hostility to have the upper hand. In verse 16, Jesus brings peace and reconciliation, which is really a radical resolution considering the powers that be and the fact the law had been so strongly established already. I mean, for centuries and even the ruling empire You know, that had its influence. So the idea of reconciliation peace, because God's really introducing, you know, something that was new and saying, okay, it's about relationship with me. And then that same verse 16, Paul writes about putting to death hostility, because certainly Christ's new ideas might usher in, you know, spirits of of, uh, hostility or hostile ideas whether it's directly or indirectly, because sometimes we become aggressive or passive aggressive, whatever it comes out to be, whatever it shakes out to be, because it's, it's the fact that we're human beings, right? So Jesus, he comes and he gives us a recurring theme, again, by the power of the blood of Christ, the recurring theme of making peace and reconciliation for peace, to bring peace for all humanity. So if that would be true then, I mean, follow me on this. Look at the passage there. If that would be true then, that by the power of the blood of Christ, the power of God, there is this peace and reconciliation. If it's true then, would it not be true now for the church? That, that we would be able to experience peace and reconciliation, I'm not, you know, don't try to read into anything. I'm not saying anything that I know and you don't know. I'm not saying that. But I, I, I'm just saying that, man, we are in a hostile world right now. We are in a hostile time in, in the history of, of our, our globe, our, our earth, of humanity. And, and I think that pours over and pours into organizations and churches and all that. And man, but remember, Jesus Christ is about peace and reconciliation. And if it was true then, it is true now. And that's what God is calling us to, Mission Church, is to peace and reconciliation. I don't think anything has changed since then. I mean, what God was doing through Jesus Christ, I think, is the same thing that God is doing through Jesus Christ. I mean, look at the verse there. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, I guess on the human side of things, now hang with me here. On the human side of things, it seems that always what's on the inside spills out on the outside. And usually comes out of our mouth. 
So we, we say things sometimes, maybe we wish we could take back. We say things that might hurt. We want to take it back. But remember the principle, and I'm, I'm sharing this as a pastor. Because I'm not going to have any more influence over you. I want to say this, working together and not against. So, so mission, talk the talk. That's the first idea. Talk the talk. Talk about the peace and the unity and let the desire begin to blossom. And the second thing, Ephesians chapter 1, we're going in reverse here, is walk the walk. And so the second idea here is work to serve rather than control the outcome. Now you can apply that at work. You can, you can apply that, you know, in your family. This will be good for how you live in your own family. Work to serve rather than control the outcome. And, and we enjoy, you know, Paul recounting all that God has done for us and the blessings and heavenly realms and how he chose us before the foundations, you know, were laid and the adoption that he does not force upon us or himself, but it's an adoption at God's pleasure. And we understand hearing and enjoy hearing about God, how he lavishes on us his grace and wisdom and his understanding. And, and we understand that. We, we enjoy hearing all that. And we enjoy hearing about the unity he has for all creation. Amen? I mean, because Paul teaches that. He reminds us. But, you know, it takes some work. Okay, we're embracing that, that idea, that theology, but it, it takes some work. Work to serve rather than control the outcome. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go back to the Word. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Go to Ephesians 1, looking at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Now, I considered just stopping there and not reading anymore because I, I do not want to... To forget this, because that's kind of a primary idea that I'm going to come back to. But, but I think we need all of it. So let's go to verse 12 and on. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And and you know what he's saying here? I mean, this sounds very kind of high and mighty and, and, and kind of deep. But you know what he's saying? He's saying that you're his child. He's done all this. He's made the deposit. He's made the investment. Jesus died on the cross. I mean, we, we, we sum it all up. He's saying this, that you are his child. Therefore, act like it. If you're a child of God, he's saying, if you're my child and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, listen, act like it. Let's live our life like that we are really his child. And so he's saying here, in essence, here's the, where the walking begins. We see this in the last paragraph, is he's thanking them for living out their faith. And he's really saying, your hope is in him. Listen to this. Your hope is in him. Your belief is in him. And when we put our hope, our belief in something, real belief, it wells up in us certain desires and emotions. And, and in fact, we go back to the text and we see this later in the apostle's life when he chooses the high road, which is the harder road. It's the road of persecution and heartache and multiple beatings and imprisonment. And he does that. He chooses the high road. He goes through all of that because of hope and belief. That's Paul. 
He has this hope. He has this belief. And it drives him to the higher, more difficult road. He goes through all that he does. And wow, has the Apostle Paul blessed my life and blessed your life and blessed all of Christendom. Because he took the high road and he paid the price because of hope and belief. You know, hope and belief does strange things to us when we discover hope and belief. Because it moves us, listen to this, it moves us into the realm of the impossible. When we have hope, all of a sudden something comes alive like a spark, an ember of life. And all of a sudden we're moving towards this realm that is impossible. It's the impossible that begins to become possible because we're thinking something, dreaming something that we had never dreamed or hope of before because of hope and belief. I love my story. Not my story. It's God's story of, of one of my dearest friends, Davidson Pierre. He's a man from... From Haiti, he's a Haitian black man who uh, found the promise of a missionary, and this missionary brought him to America, and and she saw that he was a great mathematician, and he went to school, and now is this doctor teaching at two different universities, and I was his pastor, I had the honor to be his pastor, and he came to me one day in my office, set an appointment, and he said, Pastor, I've started this little handful of kids in the school up in this place called Hish Haiti, and and there's no school up there. There's no Nazarene church. The Lord's given me this vision. It seems impossible that, Pastor, I want your help. And before I knew it, I was on a plane to Haiti. I never dreamt that I'd be going to Haiti almost every three months for like five years. Never dreamt that there would be this school that has 300 kids in it now. There'd be a Nazarene church and there'd be a metal building that another church, Bradens and First Church of the Nazarene, we give them credit because they've committed to it permanently. And it was an impossibility, and it became possible because of hope and belief. And that's what Davidson saw. And I praise the Lord for working through us like he does. Look at verse 11. Work out everything in conformity of his will. Remember, that's where I said I want to come back to. In the conformity of his will, it means that we are doing his will. That's what Davidson Pierre was doing, is simply doing the will of God. Walking and serving. Walking and serving, walking and serving. And I'm meddling a little bit because I think, I think the enemy is having a heyday right now. I think Satan loves the fact that the church has been handicapped. And we have all these thoughts about, well, I can't serve, I can't serve, I can't serve. Now, I don't want to be inappropriate and I want to be cautious and we need to be healthy. And I understand that. Man, I love the church. And part of walking is serving. And how do we serve if we don't really say, okay, I want to serve. And so walking and serving is, is, is part of it. I mean, that's why we have on the bulletin, you know, seek, serve, and reach. That we are seeking God in discipleship. We are serving our community compassionately. And we are reaching by sharing who Jesus with is who Jesus is with others so they know, might know Christ. I mean, seek, serve, and reach. You see, it's about the walking and serving. That's why we're, we, we, we believe that. It means that, listen to this, it means that we are kingdom-centered and not self-centered. We, we dwelt probably about a year on that idea as a board, talking about, you know, in different ways being kingdom-centric versus church-centric. So we are kingdom-centered instead of self-centered, and I shouldn't have to be reminded of that because I'm a pastor. 
I'm a pastor. I should be kingdom centered. But you know what? I have to keep reminding myself because I tend to be self-centered instead of kingdom centered. And when I should be kingdom centered, I find myself being self-centered. And so I have to remind myself to be kingdom centered instead of self-centered. Because the temptation is so real to be self-centered instead of kingdom centered. I don't know how many different ways I can say it, but the fact is I need to remind myself. Because the easiest thing in the world, listen guys, the easiest thing in the world is, is to sing the me song. There's a parody of a chorus I love, and this guy is leading with his guitar, and he has the bands on his wrist and the tattoos, and you know, he has this look, he looks like a worship pastor, not Kelly, but a worship pastor, you know, very contemporary, and he's singing this song, and it's, it's a familiar tune, a chorus, but instead of, you know, it's all about Jesus, He's singing, it's all about me, it's all about me, right? You know, and, and he changes the words and, of course, in a humorous way, making a point. Because it's not all about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom. And that's why some of you that have uh, taken time to produce this film, some of you that have taken time to set up the tents outdoors and the chairs outdoors and sterilize the chairs and to set up the tables and the host area and to set up all the signs. And some of you that have been working, and I could probably name off 50 or 60 people, we've been working as a team. I could, I could say, congratulations. I give you a hand. Because you're kingdom-centered and serving like that and, and not self-centered. That's important. It's really important. So the the next idea is simple. Work on supporting, here it is, hang on. Work on supporting the leadership and believe that God will work through them. That's the third thing that you're filling in there. Work on supporting the leadership and and shortly it will be a pastor and I don't know who she will be or he will be. But at one point, you're going to have a new pastor, and, and I believe this truth applies not only to your family, but as us, as a congregation, work on supporting the leaders and believe that God will work through them. You know, this connects with the first one, you know, work on supporting each other. But work on supporting the leadership, that's your church board, because we have a church board that is the decision-making body of the church, and we have paid staff, full-time ministry staff, and they are part of the leadership team along with the church board. And so the point is this, work on supporting the leadership and believe that God will work through them. And when you focus on supporting the leadership and you believe that God will work through them, we see that's the trust part of it. That's the trust part of it that would lead to effectiveness. And we believe that God has anointed them, that God has placed them. It's not an accident. They are where they're at right now. And we're supporting the leadership like our board. Then when that happens and we do it gung-ho, then we can focus, those that are leaders, can focus on ministry and not on watching our backs. You see, because the enemy, in the chaos of everything, he wants us to be, you know, insecure and unsure of herself, but man, if we're on the same page, we're working together and we're focused on supporting leadership and, and believe that God is working through those that are anointed, we can focus on ministry. We, we can follow God and not the fallibilities of man. And I say that because the fact is man will fail you 
An individual will fail you. A pastor will fail you. I will fail you if I haven't already. And so that's we we work on supporting and believing that leadership that God has put in place and God blesses. There's no question in my mind that God blesses. And then this atmosphere of trust begins to happen because we begin to trust what God has done and who he's put there. And then all of a sudden there is this fruit that begins to flow from that trust. Again, then effectiveness happens. You see, then we combine our energies and resources and, and God's work begins to be done. And then we have trust, you know, that happens. In fact, let me say what trust will do. Trust, it is not, it does not allow, let me say it like this. It does not allow the enemy to create ill feelings within leadership. That's part of the trust experience. It does not allow the enemy to create ill feelings within leadership, meaning that we go and we communicate and we talk and we process through things. We get to have this one focus, you know, from the leadership that God calls. And and, and so as we are protecting the leadership, it's, we have a great church board, and I want to thank the Lord for just an awesome board that God has given Mission Church of the Nazarene. I want to give them a hand as well. My hat's off to you. Thank you for being faithful and loyal. Thank you for being on the church board and serving. And, and I believe that when we are focused and we trust that God has placed us where we're at, talking to you, the leadership here, then things begin to happen in a beautiful way. And so here's what I'm saying to Mission Church as a whole. Protect the leadership. Protect the leadership. And you protect the church. And God will be glorified in that. So how do we do that? We do what we say. Remember, walk the walk and talk the talk. And, and be careful what we say. And, and protect the trust that God has, has given and growing in us as we're learning together as a team. And safeguard that and be honest and have integrity. And, and how do we do this? Seek unity. Remember, we're talking the talk and seek unity. Because it cannot happen just automatically. It takes work that we are beginning to say, okay, this is going to happen with us together. Again, we're better together, right? We are better together. And it happens and it becomes reality as we begin to believe that God wants to bring peace and reconciliation for his glory. That's the hope and the belief he wants us to have today. I believe that. In fact, I wasn't sure how I wanted to end today, but here's how I, I want to end. And for those of you that are home or watching in your car, or maybe, I don't know where you're at, but you're, you're online watching, or you're here in the sanctuary, you're outside, I want to invite you to turn to your neighbor right now. Maybe it's just your spouse. <laughs> maybe you need to call somebody if you're watching online. But, but turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I got your back. In regards to our, our mission church. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey, I've, I've got your back. Just say that. Okay, turn to the other neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, I got your back. Okay, let's start the process again. Turn to that first neighbor and say, hey, God has your back. All right? Go to the other neighbor. God has your back. Okay, now I want to invite all of us together out loud to say, we are in this together. Okay? One, two, three. We are in this together. We are in this together. Let's say it again together. We are in this together. Amen? Amen. I believe that God has great plans for you. And uh, I cannot wait to hear the awesome reports of what God is doing 
through your ministry, through Mission Church. And I am for God, and I'm for you. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for, thank you for our church. Thank you for mission. Thank you for our team. Thank you for our board. Thank you, Father, for the work you're doing in people's lives. Lord, you're sovereign. You're, you're in control, and so we trust you. We trust you, Jesus. We put it in your hands. We give it to you, Father. Thank you for the work you're doing. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And God bless you. Have a great Sabbath.